Thank you. Turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to have two short parts. Don't, don't worry, it won't be particularly long, but two short parts to our evening uh, Bible study tonight. The first will be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11, and then I have uh, three men that I've invited to come, and they're going to lead us in prayer. I am absolutely convinced that what our nation needs is Christians who pray. And uh, children, I know sometimes listening to other people pray is really boring. But if you take one thing away from this evening, children and teens, I want you to take away that you are at a church that prays. And uh, not just tonight. I hope you are taking time every day to pray for our country, uh, to pray as the Lord leads you for our president, for our governor, uh, to pray for our, <clears throat> for our county, for the local government uh, that we have here. Um, just a lot of things to pray about. Prayer matters. It matters if we pray. And God is in the business of changing lives. Here in Philippians chapter 1, you know verse 6. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice, he which hath begun a good work in you. God is in the business of changing lives. uh, Just making us different from the inside out. Let's pray and I'll tell you a story about God changing a life from the inside out. Thank you, Father, for uh, the evening we have together. We're so grateful that you've gathered us tonight in a warm place. We're comfortable physically and we're thankful for that. But we want to be more burdened to pray. We ask that you would put that burden upon us uh, and, and that we would bear up under it and be excited about being in the trenches to pray to you, to being in the front lines and to have your Uh, air support on our behalf, to be battling with the enemy, the flesh, our own flesh, the devil, the world, and to know that greater is he, the Holy Spirit that is in us than he that is in the world. And to have a a quick heart, a heart that is quick to go to you in prayer, a heart that is confident that prayer matters, that it matters whether we pray or not. And even tonight, as some men lead us in prayer, I am asking, Father, that we would participate in this Uh, Worship also, confessing, thanking you, and bringing our requests to you. And so we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. H.A. Ironside is a famous preacher from a long, long time ago. And uh, he tells the story. He was preaching at the gospel mission there in uh, Chicago. And he noticed, as it was a series of meetings, he preached every night uh, consecutively. And he noticed that there was a young man who was coming in the back that seemed a little bit uh, uncomfortable. So he thought, you know, I'm going to catch up with that young fella. But every time he would leave the pulpit and start to make his way to the back, that fellow was pretty quick. He'd slip out and disappear. And then one night, it just so happened that the room was pretty much full, and so the only seats that were left were on the front row. We know how that is here at Elmira. And uh, so this fella came in a little bit late, and they ended up seating him right there on the front row. And H.I.N.S., I thought, this is my chance. Tonight, I'm going to catch up with this guy. So sermon was done. He walked down. Fellow was trying to slip away. He tapped him on the shoulder. He said, hey, I, I, I noticed you've been coming. I'd like to talk to you for a minute. And he asked the young man, are you a Christian? And the young man said, no, I'm not. He said, well, why, what, what are you? He said, well, I used to think I was an atheist, and now I think I'm an agnostic. He said, okay, well, um, you know, what, what, what brings you here? He said, that man over there. And he pointed across the way to a man named Al Oakley. 
And Al Oakley had been a saloon owner until he started to drink himself to the point he lost everything he had and he was living on the streets. And that's when this young man met this bum. I mean, he didn't do anything. He was a, a drunkard and homeless. But Al Oakley became a Christian, got saved. And this young man was so intrigued by that, that even though he wasn't a Christian, he started attending the meetings there at the gospel mission. That's a true story. I've got another true story for you. Two men that I know, um, one of them was saved. Church was out door knocking and uh, he got saved. And so of course the pastor said, hey, you need to come to church now. So the guy came to church and he was there at the church talking to the pastor when a man came walking through the door and he said to the pastor, I never thought I'd see that man in church. They knew each other's business partners maybe 10, 15 years before. And both of them were heavy drinkers. In fact, one of them owned a saloon, which is what reminded me of the story. And God had saved both of them and dramatically changed their lives. God is in the business of changing lives, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, God is changing lives. Now, one of the mis misunderstandings we often have is we think that God's trying to change our lives to make us more comfortable. The truth is often God changes our lives in ways that are uncomfortable. Initially, I'm saying uncomfortable. Or we think that God's trying to change our, way, our lives in ways that are less stressful. Now, God does give us peace. And I'm grateful for that. But because God is forming in, in us the image of Jesus Christ, he often puts us in stressful situations. Why would we need peace that passes all understanding if nothing's going on around us? So sometimes he puts us in, in stressful situations and he gives us peace. We think sometimes he's trying to change our lives to make life easier for us. And often he doesn't make life easier for us. But we can trust him that he who's begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that informs the way that we pray. Think about the people for whom you're praying. I, I hope you're praying for some people by name. Your parents, uh, your, your spouse if you're married, your children if you have children. The people in this church, Tim mentioned praying for me. Yes, please, please pray for me. What kind of prayers are we offering? Are we just sort of like throwing spaghetti against the ceiling, hoping it sticks? Um, sometimes we say, God bless the pastor. I do need God's blessing, I do. But let's be more specific than that. And that's why Paul is praying for these folks here. Um, you have your, your Bible there, uh, Philippians 6, uh, 1, verse 6. Now look down at verse 9. And this I pray. This is Philippians 1, 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Notice that the purpose of his prayer and the reason God is working change in our lives is to bring glory to God the Father. Under the glory and praise of God is how verse 11 ends. So when Paul is praying, Paul is praying with purpose. He's praying with clarity. He's not just guessing or praying that things will go well or get resolved. He's got some specific requests for these people. Now, the first thing I want you to think about, uh, turn with me to chapter 2, verse 27. I've got to turn a page. Maybe you don't. But Philippians 2, 27. Paul is talking about Epaphroditus. He's mentioned, the name is mentioned in verse 25. And in verse 27, Paul says, For indeed he, that's Epaphroditus, 
For indeed, Epaphroditus was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So here's Epaphroditus. He is so sick that he's, he's close to dying. And that'll come up again in Psalm 107 here in a week or two. But he's so close to dying. You would think that the number one thing Paul would be praying for is Epaphroditus to get well. Let's pray for him to be healthy. We don't want him to die. Paul says that. Now, I'm sure that Paul prayed for Epaphroditus. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But notice in Philippians 1, when he lists his prayer requests, health. Bodily health doesn't even come up. And here's why not. Because there are some things that are more important than bodily health. And that's, I like to call them inner man requests. It's the things that people don't see. You know, people see how I'm dressed. They see if I comb my hair. Uh, they see the, the cars I drive. They see my family. They see my office. Please don't look too carefully. But they see these things about me. And they can form judgments, you know, about who, what type of person I am. And so sometimes we're tempted to pray about those things. But what God wants us to pray for is the inner man requests. And the reason is, I'm going to give away the message here, but the reason is, is because God changes us from the inside out. We, we like to just, we'd like God to just sort of put a veneer on us, right? So that we just look good. As long as I look good, think about King Saul. Samuel has come, Samuel the prophet has come. After Saul has not fulfilled God's commands to destroy the Amalekites, he's brought back the sheep, he's brought back the goats, he's brought back other cattle. And Samuel says, God has rejected you. Samuel says to King Saul, God has rejected you as king. And you know what King Saul's request is? Come worship with me in front of the elders. We got to look good. We got to make it look like, don't you think Saul should have been far more concerned about God rejecting him as the king? But instead, he's worried about what's on the outside. And we don't want to be Christians who only worry or even primarily worry about the outside, what people see. Primarily, we want to be worried about the inside. And as the inside changes, the outside will change also. So notice what he prays for. Verse 9, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound more and more. He wants them to have abundant love. He's praying that their love will continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow. He's not satisfied that they already have a lot of love because he says that he thanks uh, them for their fellowship. Surely they love God. Surely they love Paul. But he wants their love to grow more and more. That's a good prayer request as we pray for each other. That we would love each other. That's one way that our love can grow. There's a second way our love can grow and that is our love for God. Our love for God should motivate everything we do. So as we pray for our love for God to grow and increase and abound and be more and more of it, we're praying for more motivation to serve God, more motivation to obey God. But not only that, how about our love growing for our enemies? Jesus tells us that we are to love our enemies. Now, love our our spouse, that makes sense. Love our kids, that makes sense. Love God, that makes sense. Love you guys, that makes sense. You guys are nice people. Love our enemies. Love the people that are actively trying to destroy us. And we have people like that in our community. People who would love for this church to burn down. They would love for us to just go away. Can we, can we love those people too? Well, we can by God's grace. And so as we pray for each other, let's pray. And tonight we'll 
be looking at some specific requests. As we pray for people, let's pray that their love will abound more and more, that they'll have abundant love. The second thing he prays for is that they'd have discernment. And just for the sake of alliteration, I call this amazing discernment. Verse 9 again, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge and judgment. He's not just praying that they'll love everybody. Sometimes people misunderstand and they think love means we're just tolerant of everything. If you really love someone, you, you, you affirm them, we're told. Well, I, I, I don't believe people really believe that. The best example I have, you would not give your five-year-old a sharp knife, would you? If they found a sharp knife, you wouldn't affirm them. Oh, yeah, you found a knife. Be careful with that. I don't know about you. I'd take it away from my five-year-old. Right? My five-year-old isn't ready yet. To, to, to you. There's some things that are dangerous and people ought not to even have. And if we truly love people, we are seeking their best. So when he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, knowledge about the Bible, knowledge about God, yes, and then judgment in discernment and being able to say, yep, this is right. We should do this and this is wrong. We ought not to do that. Not only for us personally, but for the people around us. And so someone comes to you and they've got a sin problem. Don't affirm them. Don't say, well, you know, I'm going to pray for you. Tell them that's wrong. Don't do that. This is right. Do this instead. That's what it means that our love abounds in knowledge and in judgment. And how do I know that? That ye may approve. Here's verse 10. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That you may approve things that are excellent. You're going to love people, even your enemies, you're going to abound in your, excuse me, you're going to grow in your knowledge of, of the Bible, your knowledge of God, and in your discernment, your ability to judge what is right and what's wrong so that you can say, yep, this is right, approving things that are excellent. This um, word here, excellent, it's an interesting word. If you just take the, the basic etymology, it means to carry over, to carry over. And the idea, it, it means to excellence, but the idea is you have this two sides and on one side, you have things that are not good. And you carry those things over to the side that's excellent. The, the, these things on this side, they're superior. If I can um, use it a, a, another term here. Yeah, they're superior. They're, they differ to one's advantage. Things on this side differ to one's advantage. They're better than this side over here. Now, the truth is, when we live our lives according to the Bible... We're living on this side. This is the superior side. This is the better way of living. But how many Christians are looking back over on that side and saying, I wish I could be like those people. That's not approving things that are excellent. We look back and we say, well, I mean, I guess that's the way they have to be. That's not approving things that are excellent. When we have knowledge and judgment, discernment, and we approve things that are excellent, we're calling people to join us on this side. Hey, this is the superior side. This is the better way to live. This is where you have the advantages that God intends for you to have. That's approving things that are excellent. And the number one way that we approve, that we show things are excellent, that they are to our advantage, that they're superior, is by living them out. We ought to have radically, radically different lives than the people around us. Radically different. I give you a Mongolian example because it's easier 
and that I don't accidentally step on somebody's toes. In Mongolia, they'd often say to me, you can't get ahead in business if you don't deceive people. The only way we can get ahead in business in Mongolia, they'd tell me, is if we deceive people. We're going to have to do some lying. We're going to have to fix the scales, right, so that it says it's a kilogram, but it's not really a kilogram. It's a little bit less than that. Or if we're buying stuff, we'll fix the scales so that it's more than a kilogram, but we'll just tell them it's a kilogram. They say, this is really common. Those proverbs that talk about no false weights, boy, that resonated with Mongolians. They said, you can't trust any weight in this country. (laughs) You've got to deceive. You can't get ahead if you don't cheat people. Now, approving things that are excellent doesn't mean me, if if I'm the pastor there in Mongolia, this came to my attention, I didn't say to him, yeah, I guess you're right. Just be kind when you deceive people. You know, love them in your deception. I didn't say that to them. I said, no, we're going to be radically different. If you have a business in Mongolia, you're going to be honest. You're going to do what's right. You're going to have just weights. If it says a kilogram, it's going to be exactly a kilogram, whether you're buying or you're selling. That was a radical concept in Mongolians. I don't see how we can do that. Now, how do we know we can do that? Because we have God's grace. When we're obeying him and we're following his law, he pours his grace into our lives and he does make our lives shine brightly for his glory. And Mongolians, as they learn these, things, these principles and they begin to live them out, guess what? They got a reputation for what? Honesty. Now, how about you? Don't you want to go to the merchant who's honest? I do. That's the superior way. That's a difference to the merchant's advantage. That's approving things that are excellent. I'm going to move on uh, here. Uh, That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. Sincere. That word sincere does not mean perfect. It simply means it's pure. It's without alloy. We use the word authentic a lot in our society. It's the same all the way through. You ever buy a a floor covering? They make them out of vinyl now. And if you scratch the surface deep enough underneath, it's just plastic. Or you buy that wood plank flooring and you cut through the surface and underneath it's just cheap wood. Just a thin layer of real wood on top of that. That is not sincere. That is not authentic. That's fake. We're not called to be fake. We're called to be sincere. And sincerity is a product is a result of allowing God to change us from the inside out. When God changes me from the inside out, then I'm the same all the way through. I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not just putting on a a costume and pretending. I'm the same all the way from what you see all the way into my heart. Not because I'm a good person, but because I've allowed God and God's grace to change me from the inside out. God begins by changing our desires. He begins by changing our thoughts. He begins by changing our attitudes. Long before our actions ever change. And so as we're praying for people, we want to pray that they would be sincere. That God would change them from the inside out. Not merely that their outside would change. Not merely that their actions would change. But that their heart and their mind and their will would be changed. Sincerity is not produced by the efforts of authority to pressure people to do what's right. Now, I want to be careful here because parents, we have a responsibility to to cause our children to do right. So keep parenting. Children, don't go to your parents and say, pastor said don't put any pressure on me. That's not what I'm I'm saying, children. I'm saying when we're dealing one with another as peers, 
the, 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 the way to achieve sincerity is not to pressure each other so that we merely conform to keep everyone happy. The way to get to true sincerity is to pray for each other because only God can change a heart. Now, I can cause people to change on the outside. Yeah, can you just turn those off? Thank you. I can cause people to change on the outside. I can put enough pressure on them that they say, oh boy, I better do this right so the pastor doesn't get mad. Right? I can bully people so, well, I better be on time to church or he's going to be mad and he's going to yell at me. But that's not what I want. I don't want you to just conform so that you stay out of trouble. I want God to change your heart from the inside out. And let me go back to why I bring this up tonight. Because that's an inner man prayer. I'm not merely praying that you'll look good. I'm not merely praying that you'll look different. That you'll act different. I want you to be changed from the inside out. So as I'm praying for you, and I hope as you pray for me, and as we pray for each other, that we think beyond merely the external and we ask that God would give us an absolute sincerity so that people will be changed from the inside out. And all this leads to a blamelessness. It says in verse 10 that you may be sincere and without offense. Now, blamelessness, this idea of without offense does not mean you never offend anyone. And here's how I know that because even Jesus was offensive, wasn't he? Were the merchants happy when he flipped over the tables and drove the animals out of the temple precincts? I don't think they were very happy. I don't think the Pharisees were very happy when he taught the people the truth. Jesus upset people, though, because he did what was right, not because he did what was wrong. Think about Daniel in the book of Daniel. His enemies, his political enemies, wanted to get rid of him. But they couldn't find anything to accuse him of except that he prayed to the God of Israel. So they had to get a law passed that nobody could pray except to Darius the king in order to get rid of Daniel. And of course, we know God spared Daniel. but, But here's my point. Daniel was blameless. He wasn't a corrupt official. He wasn't skimming off the top, uh, even though he was, had a high position in the land. He wasn't cheating people. He wasn't politically, uh, a political hack who was using deceitful methods in order to get his way. And as they dug into his life and they saw who he was, he was authentic, he was sincere, and so he was without offense. There wasn't anything they could accuse him of. So they had to make something up. That ought to be the way it is with us. You know, our enemies are going to seek to attack us. They're seeking to find little, little um, uh, inconsistencies in our lives. And the only way we can avoid that, it's not to try to make people happy, is to be sincere. To allow, God changes from the ins- to allow God to change us from the inside out. So that we're authentic. We're the same all the way through. All of this, a love for God and for people our knowledge and our judgment growing more and more, approving things that are excellent, being sincere and without offense means that we will be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Again, righteousness isn't me just saying, well, I'm going to do what's right today. Righteousness is me allowing God to change me from the inside out so that righteousness becomes just who I am, not something I do. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, notice this next phrase though, which are by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of those words, but I want you to take away this tonight. My righteousness, the righteousness that I have is not my own. It's not something I've done. It's something God's done for me and he's poured into my life. 
My righteousness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all of this that he's praying for these people is unto the glory and praise of God. Why is he praying for them to be changed from the inside out? Why is he praying for their love to abound? Why is he praying for their knowledge and their, and their uh, uh, discretion to grow? Why is he praying that they'll be sincere and without offense? Because he wants God to be glorified. Why are we praying for the United States? Why do you pray for government officials? Why do you pray for your family members? Why do you pray for each other? Is it just so we'll look good? So that the United States can be the dominant power in the world? That's meaningless in, in, in God's plan. What's meaningful is that God is glorified. Do you remember what Matthew 5.16 says? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's the goal of these prayers. Is yes, that we'll be filled with righteousness. Yes, that we'll do what's right. Yes, that we'll behave in a way that aligns with scripture. But not so that people look at us and say, oh boy, that guy, he's, he's a really good fella. Hey, that lady over there, boy, she's, boy, she really stands out. We're praying for this for each other so that God is glorified. We're praying for our nation that God will be glorified and exalted in the United States. We're praying for our state, for our county, so that God will be exalted and glorified here. We're praying for our church. Surely you pray for Elmira Baptist Church. Don't just pray that we get a bunch of people. That's, that's great. We want more people because we want to see God's impact, God's influence expanded in our area. That's, that's true. But we just don't want more people so we can have more people. We want God to be honored. We want God to be praised. We want the focus to be on him. We want him to be exalted. When people think of Elmira Baptist Church, I don't want them to think of me. And I don't want them to think of you. I want them to think of God. There's a church where God is honored. There's a church where God is worshipped. There's a church where people pray to God as if he really exists. Well, because we believe he exists. That's our goal in our prayers. So who are you praying for by name? And as you think about the people that you're praying for, whether it's a family member, whether it's a me, if it's another church member, people, friends, family that are outside of our, of our community, praying for our state, praying for our nation, what are you praying for? I hope that you're praying for these inner man requests, that they'll uh, abound in love, that they'll increase in knowledge and judgment, that they'll approve things that are excellent, that they will be sincere and blameless, and that they'll be filled with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Why? So that God is praised and glorified. That's our goal. So keep that in mind now. If we can transition quickly. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. We're going to take a few minutes to pray. And uh, we're going to do this in a, in a specific way. So that it is... Uh, done decently in order and brings glory to the Lord. But as we pray tonight, and as you pray for people, whether it's this evening before you go to bed or tomorrow morning when you get up or sometime tomorrow you're praying for people, remember to pray for what's on the inside of that person, not just what's on the outside of that person. 